This morning's scripture is taken from Jonah, chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. That's Jonah 1, 1 to 3. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, check, check, test, test, test. Bueller, one, two, we're good? Are we on? Yeah, okay. So about 10 years ago, uh, I got to go to Lebanon. Hey, James. And w- w- going to Lebanon, you know, you prepare for going there, and we went with a bunch of uh, youth pastors who were given a chance all, all across Canada to go to um, Uh, Lebanon to learn about what was happening in Lebanon. And as part of preparing for that, we had to have our passports, right? Make sure our passports were up and ready. But one of the things that they told us in the midst of this is make sure you don't have a stamp from Israel. I'm like, why? Because if you go there and if you have a stamp from Israel and you've visited Israel, they won't let you into Lebanon. And that's when I first learned about some of the bad blood that had the, 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 the bad blood that was between the uh, Israelis and the Lebanese people. And the Lebanese people uh, really did not um, look uh, upon favorably upon the Israel, Israels, uh, Israelites. Um, enough that, like, while we were in Lebanon, we couldn't mention the word Israel. It was like Voldemort, right? The, he who must not be named. It was the country we couldn't name. Even though they were right across just a stone's uh, throw away from us, we just couldn't mention their name. There was this animosity uh, over, over uh, the history of what's happened in b- between those two countries. In the same way, from 1592 to 1598, the Japanese army raided and invaded Korea. This would not be the only time that they would attack Korea. 300 years later, Japan would attack and invade Korea from 1910 to 1945. And in both of these invasions, Japan would commit atrocities that comes with occupying another country. They would ban the speaking of the Korean language in their school systems, in our school systems, and want to strip the Koreans of their culture. They dismembered more than 20,000 noses and ears from Koreans and brought it back to Japan to create these, they call them nose tombs, as as war trophies. I remember when I was in school in Korea, uh, learning that because Korean pottery was so sought after that the Japanese people kidnapped these artists and stole the trade secrets of Korean pottery. 
I always wondered why my grandparents would never want to buy Japanese products. And they would tell us not to buy Japanese cars or, or, or Sony Walkmans uh, back then, Walkmans, yeah. Um, and I never understood that. But only recently, as I read more about what happened in that time, I could understand why they felt that way. Uh, just like Taylor Swift would write about, there was some bad blood between the Koreans and the Japanese people, and still to this day. And it's not like the Koreans didn't do anything wrong. I'm sure during that war, during those years of warring, that a lot of bad things happened uh, from both sides. And this bad blood isn't something new in our human history. Uh, whether it's between the Le Lebanese and the Israeli people, uh, the Macedonians and the Greeks, or the Montagues and the Capulets, we as uh, Romeo and Juliet, for those of you that may not know, we as human beings have had some type of bad blood since Cain and Abel. And it is no different here in our story today. Jonah, as an Israelite, would have felt this way about the people of the Ninevites. It was the capital city of Assyria where the Assyrians were their mortal enemy. In three different occasions throughout their history, the Assyrians had invaded the Israelites Assyrians were ruthless and evil in that they would have naked Jewish people impaled on poles. They would capture Israelites and force them to fight against their own people and would commonly dismember and disfigure the Israelites. So you can imagine how Jonah would have felt about the Ninevites. These are the very people who had invaded their land, tortured and murdered his people, there was bad blood between Jonah and the Ninevites because the Ninevites literally spilt the blood of many Israelites. So we can see why Jonah doesn't want to listen to God. He doesn't want to go and preach against Nineveh because they were his mortal enemies. In the story, we see Jonah runs away from God and heads to the city of Tarshish. Jonah doesn't just run away from God by hiding or going to just another city. He hires a boat and goes in the complete opposite direction of Nineveh. So here's a map of where Israel is and where Nineveh is. So Nineveh is very close, and you see Tarshish, which is across the other side. It's like God telling us to go to Montreal to preach to the Canadian, Montreal Canadians, uh, to the Montrealites, <laughs> right? But then getting on a plane and flying all the way to uh, Victoria, Right? It's, it's like going in the complete opposite direction, as far as you can get away from uh, Nineveh. So we know in the story, Jonah gets on the boat, and God brings this huge storm. The people on the boat try everything to fight against the storm. They were crying out to their own gods, and were throwing everything off the boat to keep it from capsizing. Jonah is still sleeping, and, and so the captain has to come and wake him and says, how can you just be sleeping in this kind of thing? They cast lots to figure out why this was happening, and it falls on Jonah. And Jonah knew it was because of him that this was happening, and so he tells him so. And he tells them, if, he throws, if you throw me off the boat, then the storms would stop. But the crewmates, uh, being God-fearing people, they didn't want to do that. They knew it was, it was not good to, to kill an innocent man, and so tries to roll back uh, to, to the shore, yet it um, didn't work. So they prayed to the God of Israel not to be angry with them. 
and throws Jonah off the board, and the seas grew calm. The Bible says that the crew greatly feared the Lord and worshipped him and made vows. And then this is where God provides Jonah with a whale, or not, not a whale, but a big fish, and to swallow up Jonah to save him from drowning. So we, we all know this story, right? And we see in chapter 2, Jonah prays in the belly of the fish. And this is what he says. He says, in my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the current swirled around about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. Jonah's prayer is not just a prayer, but it's a poem or a psalm. It's a song that was written as he reflects upon what had happened to him. Like Taylor Swift, who, who wrote that song, Bad, Bad Blood, the prayer starts with the words of thanksgiving. He's thanking God for the way in which God had rescued him. Though Jonah knew he disobeyed God and ran away from God, God heard his cry. God listened to his prayers for help. Can you imagine Jonah drowning in the sea, how he was being engulfed by the waters and the waves and was sinking to the very heart of the seas? He was sinking down, going to the pit with no air to breathe, and yet God had rescued Jonah. We don't really know who wrote the book of Jonah, but like all accounts in the Bible, none of these events were written in real time. It was in reflection and looking back at what had happened to Jonah and what had happened in the past that people are able to articulate and see where God's hand was in the midst of their lives. It is no different here uh, in Jonah. He reflects upon his life, his running away from God, and recognizes that all he can do is thank God for saving him. And isn't this what happens to us? We run away from God, live our lives apart from God, or we try to live our lives our own way. And when things fall apart, when it feels like the waves are crashing over us, it is in those moments of desperation and pain, of hitting rock bottom, we cry out to God, and God answers. This is why we say God's grace is amazing. It is amazing because He loves us and comes after us, even when we run away from Him. Jonah recognized that he was in this situation because he himself was running away from God. And he continues to thank God for what God has done. Like the, and like the crewmates, he makes a vow to God. Verse 9, But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. Jonah now looks to God and remembers how he used to pray and worship God in his holy temple. Perhaps Remembering the words of God who said to him to go and preach to the Ninevites and says, What I have vowed, I will now make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. And after Jonah prays this prayer, um, <clears throat> this is what happens. And the Lord commanded the fish and they vomited Jonah onto dry land. It wasn't that, you know, I, I always imagine like this whale coming onto the seashore uh, and then opens his big mouth, and Jonah just like walks out, right? right? But no, in the story here, it says, it's funny, I think it's supposed to be a little bit maybe comical, is that the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah out, right, onto dry land. So anyways, a commentator by the name of Douglas Stewart writes that this poem or the song that Jonah wrote captures the essence of the book's message. And the essence of Jonah's 
uh, of this book's message is that God is a merciful God. God who desires to forgive rather than to punish. God is a merciful God. God who desires to forgive rather than to punish. In the story, Jonah does obey God here finally and goes to the city and preaches to the Ninevites. And the Ninevites repented. Listen to what Jonah says to God after they repent. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. And he became very angry. He became angry. He prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is, that is why I tried to forestall my fleeing by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. Did you see what Jonah says here? This is the first time in the story we are told by the author why Jonah ran away from God. The reason why Jonah ran away from God wasn't because he didn't want to listen to God. Jonah ran away from God because Jonah knew that God was a gracious and a compassionate God. When Jonah was on the boat and he told them to throw him off the boat, why did Jonah think that this is what God wanted? Why didn't Jonah think, wait a minute, I could just go back, right? Because the whole reason the storm happened was because Jonah was running away from God. So wouldn't it make sense then for Jonah to be like, okay, I changed my mind, I repent, I'm going to go and preach to the Ninevites. Let's turn back, and then the seas will calm down. But why did Jonah think to throw himself off the boat? Jonah ran away from God because he hated the Assyrians so much that he would rather die than to have them receive the grace and love of God. This is why Jonah throws himself off the boat, because Jonah would rather die than turn back and preach to the Ninevites. There was no guarantees that when Jonah went back and preached that the Ninevites would have repented, right? But Jonah didn't even want the possibility of the Ninevites repenting. So by jumping off the boat and killing himself, then the Ninevites would have never even had that chance of hearing the gospel and possibly repent. And then God would have to save them because he knew that God was a gracious God. He would forgive them. And Jonah didn't want that. That's why here in verse 3, he says, Now, Lord, take away my life. It's better for me to die than to see these Ninevites saved. Why'd you make me come and preach here? I hated these people. You make me come and I preach and I know you're forgiving and now they're going to be saved. And so I want to die. So Jonah gets angry at the fact that God is slow to anger. He would rather die than to watch his mortal enemies being saved. Throughout the story of Jonah, we never see Jonah lacking in faith. It's not like Jonah didn't believe in God or didn't think God was real. He never doubted, that God, never doubted God. And even when he wanted to kill himself, God saved him for which Jonah thanked God for and even begrudgingly obeyed God. Yet like an insolent child, we see him stomping around complaining about how God forgave the Ninevites. Though Jonah himself praised God for saving him from the waters, Jonah can't stomach the fact that God would save those who he hated. Jonah didn't lack faith. He lacked compassion. If Jonah really knew God as a God of grace and compassion, 
why was he not able to show and extend that same grace and compassion? Isn't this the question we need to ask ourselves? How can we come on a Sunday morning, worship and praise him and sing about his goodness, about his amazing grace, and thank him for it and how he saved us, then turn around on Monday with prejudice, judgment, and hate towards our neighbors? Okay, maybe hate is a strong word. I don't really hate anybody, right? But what, do you have anyone that you need to forgive? Are there any people in your life that you have bad blood with? Or if at least not bad blood, but those who make your blood boil, right? There are anyone who shake your, you shake your head at, whether it's the anti-vaxxers or the vaxxers, right? Those who are Trump supporters or not Trump supporters. Anyone who disagrees with you or you disagree with, or more importantly, they disagree with you, that you put down or, or belittle. As some of you know, we are in this series called God is good. We want to cultivate a church of goodness where with the help of the Holy Spirit, we can work towards being a people of goodness and hence a good church. And one of the habits and characteristics of a good church is a church that nurtures, that nurtures grace and fights against fear. Here is a picture of the circle of Tov. We've we talked about this a little bit before. And that there are these habits of goodness that we need to uh, nurture. Tov in Hebrew meaning good. And last week, we looked at uh, uh, how we can nurture empathy and resist a narcissistic culture. And this week, we want to look at how we can nurture grace and resist a fear culture. In the book, Church Called Tov, McKnight and Behringer speak about this toxic church culture where fear is used as to, to stifle freedom through uh, legalism, through authoritarianism. I tried practicing that. I still can't get it. Status and approved-based relationships. And we do not want to be a community where we are fearful of one another, but a community of grace where we can come as we are, where there is space to make mistakes, where we are generous in asking for forgiveness or quick in asking for forgiveness and generous in showing grace and forgiving others. And we know that grace and, and forgiveness is a complicated process and can mean a lot of different things. I'm not going to focus on the process of forgiveness this morning, but rather the reasons why we are to forgive and why we are called to be a people and a community of grace and forgiveness. But I did want to say something because about forgiveness is that, is that I've heard that some pastors and churches are using forgiveness and grace as a weapon, meaning to tell spouses who, who have been abused or people who have been victims to forgive and go back to those relationships. And I don't think that's what God means. I think forgiveness and showing people grace and forgiveness does not mean that you have to put yourself in, a, in the same harmful situation I think you can be faithful in your walk with Jesus and still keep yourself safe. So please uh, do so. Taylor Swift has this line where he says, where she says, band-aids don't fix bullet holes. Pretty profound. So I do think there is something to forgiveness that is hard and painful, and we're called as the people of God to show grace and forgiveness. We're to forgive people 
70 times 7, we're supposed to forgive people as, as many times as they ask for forgiveness. Yet it doesn't mean that the harm that was caused can be solved with, with just a Band-Aid. And so there is still the need for retribution, for recompense, and even for reconciliation. But all those things take a long time, which I can't talk about in, in, in the 10 minutes I have, 5 minutes maybe I have. So, but... But the primary reason why we need to cultivate a church of grace and forgiveness is because God is a God of grace and forgiveness. As we are made in the image of God and are, refl- are to reflect His goodness, and as God is a God of grace and compassion, we are also called to be people who nurture grace and compassion. As we worship God of, this God of grace and compassion, we are to become who we worship. We need to recognize that God, the God we believe in, that the God we know in Jesus Christ is not a God who foremostly is about wrath, judgment, or punishment. But what Jesus is foremost about, that is what God's primary concern is that God is a God of grace and compassion. That God in his great love for the world wants to show us his grace and compassion. He, he is slow to anger, abounding in love, ready and wanting and willing to forgive. What is your view of God? Though Jonah believed in his mind <clears throat> that God was gracious and compassionate, Jonah did not submit his heart and how he felt about the Assyrians to this gracious God. <clears throat> One of the problems, I think, uh, that the Israelites had throughout their history was that because they were the chosen people of God, they felt as though they were better than other nations. In fact, they would consider Gentiles unworthy of the grace and love of God. And Gentiles would have to become Jewish in order for them to be considered anything but less than. What many of the Israelites missed out on was that God did not choose Israel Uh, just to bless and save Israel, but rather God chose Israel as a way to bless all nations. The grace and compassion God showed to the people of Israel was never meant to be kept kept for themselves, but rather God's plan was for for all people to be blessed through Israel because God loves all nations, not just them. What can happen so easily for us is to believe that we who have been chosen by God are chosen because we are better than others, because we are on the inside now, and, to, and we want to protect our Christian identity. It is so easy for us to have this us versus them mentality. And Koreans have this problem. I know that many Koreans are very patriotic because they had to be, but Yet, such protection and, and desire to, to be us creates this uh, us-them mentality. What we need to realize is that God does not draw lines based on our nationality, our gender, nor does he see us even as Christian and non-Christian. The truth is God is a God of grace and compassion who wants to forgive all people. In the story of Jonah, God wanted to forgive the Ninevites because he loved them. Nowen, Henry Nowen, you know I was going to bring him up one, one, one way or another, uh, is a spiritual writer who talks about how we are all chosen by God, that God knows and wants to be in relationship with uh, us. But this chosenness isn't the kind of chosenness in our culture. In our culture, when someone is chosen, it means that they are, others are not chosen. 
This chosenness is exclusive, where, they, where certain people are chosen because of their gifts and abilities, and then are better than or above others. But now one believes that the kind of chosenness of God is that, is, is that just because we are chosen doesn't mean that others are not chosen, but rather as we embrace our chosenness, we can call out the chosenness of others. This is what he says. He says, to be chosen as the beloved of God is something radically different. Instead of excluding others, it includes others. Instead of rejecting others as less valuable, it accepts others in their own uniqueness. It is not a competitive, but a compassionate choice. This compassionate choice is the choice that God made with the Ninevites. As Greg spoke about last week, empathy and compassion are the same idea in the Bible. We saw how Jesus showed empathy and compassion to the crippled woman. And we see over and over again how Jesus was trying to show the religious leaders God's grace and compassion by spending time with those who were considered godless. It is because God is gracious and compassionate because in his gut he feels for them and empathizes with them that he chooses to relent and save the Ninevites. We as Christians have far too long have considered these like non-Christians as the enemy. They are not the enemy, but rather the lost younger son, or for us, the lost younger brother. They are the lost sheep who have gone astray, but it doesn't change the fact that they are God's sheep. God did not just love Christians, but all people, because God is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. This is why Jesus came to save the lost. God so loved the world, world, not just the Israelites, not just us. Jesus came to be with those who were in the fringes, those who were considered unlovable, those who were considered unredeemable who we feel as unforgivable. He became sin so that we can be free from the power of sin and to receive forgiveness so that we can extend that same forgiveness to others. Let me ask you a question. Why did God call Jonah to speak to the Ninevites and not someone who already had this passion and compassion for the Ninevites, right? Like God Forget Jonah, he already ran away. Go find someone else who actually cares for the Ninevites and, and, and bring them along. But God didn't only want to save the Ninevites, but God wanted to help Jonah with his anger. He wanted Jonah to deal with his anger and his bitterness and see that God is not like that. Remember, Jonah was the prophet. He was to represent the people of Israel. So he wanted Jonah to recognize, and in extension, the people of Israel to realize that God cares even for their mortal enemies. <clears throat> so Jonah, remember, already knew this in his head, that God was gracious and compassionate, but did not let that truth become a reality in his heart. He had head knowledge but there was a disconnect from what he knew and believed and then what he felt. I mean, you can argue that Satan himself knows that God is a grace, God of grace and compassion. Yet what makes Satan Satan? What makes an angel an angel versus a demon?
in the same way, we can't just believe in our minds that God is gracious, that God is loving, and that God is forgiveness. We need that truth to descend and, and come into our hearts, to soften our hardened hearts from the pain, which is real, from, from the bullet holes, which are still bleeding. Yet, we need the grace of God to come and heal us from those wounds so that we can extend forgiveness to others. As Jonah was sitting there waiting to see what God would do to the Ninevites, maybe still hoping that God would punish them, he decides to build himself a shelter to stay away from the sun. Then God provides a, a leafy plant to cover his head from the sun, and Jonah was very happy about this plant. But, at the, next, but the next day, God also provided a worm to come and eat uh, the plant, and the sun was beating down on Jonah. And Jonah starts complaining and says to himself, I want to die. Like, okay, so Jonah is so melodramatic, right? Like, I want to die because I don't, wanna, I don't want you to forgive the Ninevites. I want to die here now because this plant that was keeping me nice and cool is making me faint. Now I want to die. God, kill me. So God's response to this, this, this uh, desire for Jonah he, he responds with the same question he asked the first time when uh, God decides to relent. And he says this to uh, Jonah. He says, is it right for you to be angry? Is it right for you to be angry? Listen to what God says in Jonah chapter 4, verse 10. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight, and sh- and should I, not, should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals? God not only shows grace and compassion to the 120,000 people, but also to the animals. We sometimes think God is only, uh, cares only about us, but he also cares for all of creation. That's why Jesus comes to redeem not just human beings, but all of uh, the cosmos. And here we see God caring even for the many animals. But Jonah here cared so much about this little plant that he had nothing to do with. And he got so angry when it, you know, uh, died. And God says, how much more? Are these Ninevites, how much more do I care and love them? And they also need the same grace and forgiveness that I gave you. So I want to end our time today with that question that God asks Jonah as a question that we need to ask ourselves. Is it right for us to be angry? Is it right for us to be angry? And for a time, I think it is okay for us to be angry. I know that God gives us those emotions, and we can sit in that anger. But God does not want us to stay there. Is it right for us to be angry when God wants to show the same grace and love he has shown to us, shown us to others? Is it right for us to be angry when God's concern is both for the Koreans and the Japanese people? Is it right for us to be angry that God loves both the conservatives and the liberals Is it right for us to be angry when God isn't? Is it right for us to be angry? Let us pray.
Jesus, if we are honest with ourselves, <clears throat> we don't know why we're angry at times, and we don't know, know where this anger comes. At other times we do know, and it's because it's so painful from, from whatever uh, harm that was done to us. And Jesus, you know our pain. You know our trauma. And you know the pain that we also cause to others. Yet, Jesus, you care for us. You love us. You want to show us grace and compassion. And so we are grateful for that, that you show that to us. But help us to get to a place where we can also extend that same grace and compassion you show us to others. May we become a community that, that stays in that space, even when it's hard. Even when it's easier to just walk away or to, or to go to another church. Help us to figure out ways of becoming a safe place for all people. And we ask it in the name of the Father, Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.